Well, before we get started, I want to wish all of you a very, very happy Mother's Day. I did my best to try to do the equivalent of finding you the right card. So I went through books that I have on my shelves that have quotes and all those types of things. I went online to say where the inspirational sayings. I tried to look back on what are some stories from the last year. And here's what I came up with. I hope, hope you like this one. It's by Abraham Lincoln. No one is poor who had a godly mother. Can I get an amen to that? So well said. You know, I was thinking about this a lot. And I don't know of a category of people who understand unconditional love the way moms do. And then also, I was thinking a little bit more on this. I don't know a category of people who often hold themselves to such impossible standards as moms do. So please know that here we love you, we see you, um, and we're going to be cheering you on as best as we possibly can. Can I get an amen to that too? All right. Well, for those who are just joining us, we are in part five of a series that we're doing called Dear Suburban Church. We're working our way through First Corinthians, and we're finding out that this letter was written to people who are an awful lot like us. Now, this was fun. I, uh, I found an outline. Someone had put together this outline. This letter was written by a disciple of Jesus named Paul, and he writes a lot of letters, and these letters actually follow a pretty similar outline. So, so here it is, uh, as one person put it. Paul's letters go like this. They go, grace to you. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. <laughs> for the love of everything holy, would you stop being stupid? And then, oh yeah, Timothy says hi. <laughs> For those of you who read Paul's letters, this is, this is a really good outline, isn't it, of his letters. Now, in reference to that second to the last bullet there, here is a small sampling just from 1 Corinthians of the kind of things that Paul says to these folks in his letter. He says 10 times, do you not know? Do you not know? He says things like this. I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> You're like a bunch of spiritual babies. You're proud of things that even the pagans would not tolerate. Can't you find, he says this, can't you find a single person among you wise enough to even judge a dispute? Your meetings, he says, do more harm than good. And then we're going to talk about this one in a few weeks. When you come together, you say that's the Lord's Supper. That is not the Lord's Supper, the way you're doing it. Right? That's just for starters. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look into this letter, and we're going to, we're going to do actually starting a mini-series within the bigger series. Starting today, we're going to do a three-part series on the Holy Spirit. There's so much here about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a mini-series on the Holy Spirit within this bigger series on 1 Corinthians. And the, one of the reasons we're taking extra time on this one to do a mini-series is for Paul, the Holy Spirit was the key. This is the key to authentic Christianity the key to authentic Christianity. Paul had access to a power that was unlike anything that these people had ever seen before. And the Corinthians, this is interesting, the Corinthians experienced a lot of that in their own lives. They had manifestations of these things that were operating in, in, in Paul. They began to experience it for themselves. And I was thinking about this. Can you just imagine if this is, if this is new to you, the way we're going to be talking today, can you imagine when you were praying, you could sense God leading and empowering those prayers? We, we, this week, earlier this week, I was talking to Pastor Mike, 
And he was said that recently, especially recently, they've been getting these very direct supernatural responses to these prayers. They, there's, they're seeing, he used the word miracles, and he doesn't throw that word around. They're seeing miracles on the, on the prayer team. So can you imagine that, if having a sense of, okay, this is what God wants to do. Let's pray according to his will and watching those things happen. And here's another thing, too. Imagine it, when you don't have the words to pray. And that's all of us at different times. Imagine you're like, I don't know even how to pray on this one. This is so challenging. This is so complex. Or this is so painful. I don't even have words. Well, can you imagine if in those moments you could tap into the Holy Spirit who prays and intercedes on your behalf through you? Can you imagine that with words that, that aren't human words as we understand them, that God's praying through us? And then many of you have been with us long enough to know that at this church, our experience has been something we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks here with 1 Corinthians 12. Our experience has been that, that God sends gifted people with specific gifts right when we need them as a body of, of, of Christ. So this letter, we have a chance to experience some of these things and talk about these things. I'm really excited for this. And one of the things that a number of scholars pick up on with Paul's letter when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, Paul's not trying to convince them that this is possible. He is he's writing this letter as, as if this is a presupposition. He's like, you already know this is real, but we need to talk. We need, we, we need to talk. He's able to anchor to a reality that they've experienced. Here's an example of someone saying that much more eloquently than me. Um, his name is Gordon Fee. He says, equally crucial to Paul's perspective is the dynamic, experiential way that the Spirit comes into the life of the individual and into the ongoing life of the believing community. This reality lies behind everything Paul says. It is a point that Paul presupposes and thus argues from, not for. I love that language. This is a reality. The reality of the Holy Spirit is a point that Paul presupposes. He's not trying to convince them of it. He says, let me start there, and now let me build upon that. He's saying, you know this is real. You've seen it. You've experienced it. But we need to talk about the way in which you're manifesting these things and what you're doing with all this and all this kind of thing. So that begs a question then. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Here's something we're going to wrestle with today. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, what choice words would Paul have for us? And they could take all kinds of different forms. Um, generally at Emmanuel, we, we, we come from so many different backgrounds. And it is highly likely that Paul would call us some of us out the way that he called out the Corinthians. Where some of us, we've seen the Holy Spirit in action in very remarkable ways. And the manner in which we've handled those experiences um, represent misuses or misunderstandings that Paul had to call out the Corinthians for. So some of us, that might be what Paul says. For others, it is highly likely that some are going to be more like the believers that Paul came across in Ephesus. He came across these new believers in Ephesus, and he said, hey, when you came to faith, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And so there might be some, in fact, there not might be, there are going to be many people here for the next couple of weeks who are like, okay, tell me more about this because this was not part of my faith tradition growing up. 
at, at all. So here's our invitation to everyone over the next three weeks. Here's what we're going to do. We, we've got this invitation for you. Over the next three weeks, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, would you like to anchor your beliefs more solidly to Scripture? Because that's what one of the things we're going to do. We're gonna, we're, let's make sure we're sticking to the Bible, not what people say about the Holy Spirit. Let's just let's actually go to the Word. Would you like to discover how you can experience more of what the Bible describes in your own life? Would you like to experience more of that? And would you like to sense that your life is better integrated into the body of Christ? That's basically the outline for the next three weeks. That's our roadmap. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a biblical framework. I'm going to do the best I can. You're going to hear a lot more quotes than normal. You're going to see tons of verses on the screen. We're going to do the best we can to say, here's a biblical framework for the Holy Spirit, as best we can in our, in our short time. That's today. Then next week, we're going to talk more about the experience of. Next week, we're going to use that gift of tongues. He spends this whole chapter 14 on this, pretty much. Um, we're going to use that as a jumping off point to say, how do we experience more of the Holy Spirit. And then in week three, we're going to challenge again. Now let's apply it the way the Bible talks about applying it. You know, how do we, how do we do that when it comes to spiritual gifts? I love this quote I came across as I was preparing for this message. We were created to think clearly and feel deeply. One of the reasons I want to put that quote up at the front is often you see people either gravitating towards one or the other when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Either it's strictly almost like an intellectual thing. It's a very doctrinal. It's very much anchored to Scripture, but it's, it's, it's not alive. Or you see the others where it's almost all about the feelings and the expressiveness, and, and it's often disconnected from Scripture, and that leads to all kinds of problems. We were created to do both, think clearly and feel deeply. When it comes to the Holy Spirit again, um, that, that, that's what Scripture invites us to do both, to understand who the Spirit is and experience His presence in His lives. If we're all thoughts or if we're all feelings, here's what happens. I love this quote too. If we emphasize the Word without the Spirit, we dry up. So true. If we emphasize the Spirit without the Word, many of you have seen this, we blow up. And they're not talking about the good way. We blow up. But if we hold the Word and the Spirit together, we grow up. I love that quote. All right, and, and, and here's a rhetorical question for you. Does anyone want to experience dry, empty religion? No, we don't want dry, empty religion. Does anyone want to experience the kind of chaos and dysfunction that happens when you disconnect the, the Holy Spirit from what the Bible actually teaches and you just chase these feelings and these experiences and all these things? No. So then let's look at what the Scripture says. How's that sound? First Corinthians, let's open up to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible at home, Please get one. Please, please, please fact check us on this. Please, please, please look up some of the verses we're going to talk about today. Be anchored to what the Word says about these things. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Oh, and if you don't have a Bible at home, just go to, uh, go to Bible.com. They've got a great free app that you can download. All right, it says this, and, and we're especially focusing on verse 1 here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand. No one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So I got really good news here for sincere seekers. Um, you might want to write this down. Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed. He doesn't. He wants us to understand the Holy Spirit. And we've got an opportunity here then to learn about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts from someone who understood them better 
than anyone else has ever lived except for Jesus himself. We, we've got this, this writing, and in this letter, we get the, the, the most detailed explanations that you're going to find anywhere in all the Bible about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. So we get to learn from Paul himself over the next few weeks. And here's the kind of things that those who study these things say about Paul. One reads Paul poorly, who does not recognize that for him, the presence of the Spirit as an experienced and living reality was the crucial matter for the Christian life from beginning to end. What I want to encourage you to do so strongly is please read all of 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, all of those chapters over the next three weeks. Next week, we're going to focus on chapter 14. Week three, we're going to focus on chapter 12. And then 13, I want you to read it now. We'll reference it over the next couple of weeks. But we're going to come back to that chapter at the very end of this whole series. Because that chapter, chapter 13, that's the key to everything. How all this fits together. All this fits together. But it's really helpful, I think, to read 12 and 13 and 14 because... 13 is there for an important reason. All right, well, today, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to give you that big picture overview. We're going to do the best we can with the time we got. Big picture overview. Try to really understand a framework for the Holy Spirit. Now, in this week's ECC mail, I'm going to be throwing so much stuff on the screen here, it's going to come really fast. In this week's ECC mail, the one that will come out after this, um, in the following week here, uh, we're going to do things like (laughs) put this in the ECC mail. So you can take these, you can digest them. Again, I'm also going to give you a lot of quotes, but this is our, this is, this is where you start. You start with the scripture. That provides the guardrail for, for all of it. So here are some quotes. Uh, looking at this list, what I didn't do a good job of with this list is get a lot of the Old Testament passages in there, but I am going to recommend a resource that does a really good job of looking at that. But here's just a starting point. This isn't like every time the Holy Spirit shows up. This is, these are some verses just to give you an idea of, of how prevalent the, the Holy Spirit is in scripture. And if you're not signed up for ECC updates, it's really easy. Just go to manual.church slash next. You can click a little um, icon there, and, and that'll get you started. All right. Also this week, I'll send you this, this list, and then I'll, I'll send you this overview. Um, in one of the books I'm going to recommend here in a while, um, here's a great overview with scriptural references embedded in it, just to give you, again, a reference point for who the Holy Spirit is and how prevalent the Holy Spirit is in the Scriptures. First, we must acknowledge that the Spirit is most frequently spoken in terms of agency. That is, the Spirit is the agent of God's activity. The Thessalonians' conversion is by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, as is their accompanying joy. Revelation comes through the Spirit. By the Spirit, the Romans are to put to death any sinful practices. Paul desires the Ephesians to be strengthened by means of God's Spirit. Believers served by the Spirit, loved by the Spirit, are sealed by the Spirit, walk and live by the Spirit. Finally, believers are, quote, saved through the washing by the Spirit, whom God poured out upon them. The Spirit searches all things, knows the mind of God, teaches the content of the gospel to believers, dwells among or within believers, accomplishes all things, gives life to those who believe, cries out from within our hearts, leads us in the ways of God, bears witnesses from our own spirits, has desires that are in opposition to the flesh, helps us in our weaknesses, intercedes on our behalf, works all things together for our ultimate good, strengthens believers, and is grieved by our sinfulness. Furthermore, the fruit of the Spirit's indwelling are the personal attributes of God. Okay, and I think all of these are just from Paul's letters. Was the Holy Spirit a big deal to Paul? Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll put those in the ECC mail that I send out this week, along with quotes like this one. 
I want to challenge, this is really good. I want to challenge this association of the Spirit merely with the extraordinary. This is unfortunate all the way around because it distinguishes his work too sharply from that of the Father and of the Son and also because it distracts us from the vast range of his activity in our world and in our lives. The Spirit becomes typecast into predictable roles. Have any of you ever seen that? The Holy Spirit gets typecast. Like, okay, this is, the Holy Spirit just does these things. Mostly cameo appearances, especially from the book of Acts, that provoke debates over what we should expect, the same signs and wonders today. Debates over signs and wonders have narrowed the Holy Spirit's repertoire. So let me take all the stuff we've been saying so far, let me just condense it down to some bullet points here. The Holy Spirit is part of the Holy Trinity. Holy Spirit is God dwelling in and among us. Holy Spirit is essential to God's saving work, central to Christian worship. The Holy Spirit is power in weakness, a new covenant distinctive, the presence of the future. The Holy Spirit helps us, guides us, gifts us. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like character within us, fuels our worldwide witness. What I want to do now is, is just comment on a couple of these bullets. Let me just comment on a couple of them. Let's start with what the Scripture reveals about who the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is revealed in Scripture to be part of what we call the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I really like this phrasing that Gordon Fee uses. He says, in dealing with the Spirit, we're dealing with none other than the personal presence of God. In Paul's letters, what's really interesting, Paul doesn't lay this out. He doesn't lay out, okay, here's the doctrine of the Trinity like we would study it maybe in seminary or in in a lot of Bible studies. He just presupposes it. It, it It's woven in everything he says. He uses this just as a reality that they've seen and experienced, and he just goes from there. And and does that same thing with the Trinitarian nature. He just, he ebbs and flows it, weaves it all together. SP also says, Paul, quote, affirms, asserts, and presupposes the Trinity in every way. And one of the ways we see this working out that I also want to comment on is how central the Holy Spirit is when it comes to God's saving work. Salvation is God's work, and and it's the Holy Spirit's work because the Holy Spirit is one part of the Trinity. Michael Horton does an outstanding job of documenting this in one of the books that I'm going to recommend in just a few minutes. Here's an example of the kind of statements that he makes, and then he backs them up with Scripture. I, I love how he worded this. He says, cooperation, meaning our cooperation with God, cooperation does not lead to the new birth, but from it. This is a flip for so many of us. In other words, it's not as simple as I make a decision for Christ, or I say yes to Jesus, or we receive the Holy Spirit at something that we've chosen to do. As you read in the scriptures, we don't find God or respond to God or make a decision to join God in his work apart from the Holy Spirit already being at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is helping to make that possible. Here's a couple more great quotes that that speak to this. Our first experience of God is with the Holy Spirit. It is he who makes us aware of and unites us to Christ through whom we then meet the gracious Father. The Holy Spirit wants nothing to do with spirit-centered Christianity. I remember one of my coworkers when I used to work at a a charismatic church, 
He said, man, there are so many times people, they have an idolatry of the Holy Spirit. He said, an idolatry of the Holy Spirit. I love this reminder too. Um, by focusing only on Christ, because sometimes people go then this far, they just leave the Holy Spirit out. By focusing only on Christ, we often, we have often attributed to Christ's deity what belongs more properly to the Holy Spirit. In doing this, we also marginalize the role of Christ's humanity in winning our salvation in what he said and did. Jesus proclaimed the Father and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father. The Holy Spirit is both the gift of the Father and the Son. Now, just to really be super clear here, as I'm talking about the Holy Spirit being the key and these types of things, it's the key to this experience. It's not Paul Paul was as Christ-centered in his teaching as you're going to find. Christ-centered. Christ is at the center of everything. And one of the reasons that Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit the way he does is because what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like character in us. The Holy Spirit helps us by empowering us to do the work that Christ did. So much so that there's times where Paul will use the term Holy Spirit and Spirit of Christ interchangeably. Sometimes in the same passage, it'll go from Spirit of Christ to Spirit of the Holy Spirit back to Spirit of Christ. I mentioned I'm going to recommend one of Horton's books. I'm also going to recommend a book by Gordon Fee. Fee, like Horton, does a great job of making statements like this. And then he backs them up with Scripture. So here's the statement. Although the goal of salvation in Christ is a people for God's name, people enter into the community one at a time. Almost every aspect of getting in is the work of the Holy Spirit, beginning with the proclamation and revelation of the gospel. So hopefully that was helpful. The whole idea of the Holy Spirit being part of the Trinity, the Trinity doing God's work of salvation, Holy Spirit at the heart of all that. Well, another thing that the Holy Spirit is at the heart of is worship. Worship that's heartfelt. Worship that is God-honoring. He's got a great quote on this too. Where the Spirit of God is, there is also what? There's also singing. When the Spirit is present, there's often singing. You just can't not engage. Where the Spirit of God is, you're going to find songs that unite our hearts, our minds, our hopes, our faith. And I can't tell you the number of times you know, people, they have reference or I've personally felt when the Spirit is a part of the song versus when it's just empty or a performance or something like that. And obviously, authentic faith is much more than just singing. Worship, authentic worship, I was going to say, is also much more than singing. And Paul has so much to say. We're going to talk about this later in the series. So much to say about worship gatherings and what is and isn't distinctly Christian worship. So we'll talk more about that next week and the weeks beyond. All right, well, in addition to being central to salvation and distinctly Christian worship, the Holy Spirit is also central to what we call the new covenant and what the Bible refers to as a new covenant. In his book, he um, describes people who, quote, want a passport to heaven without becoming citizens. Isn't that well said? There's people that want that. They like, I want a passport to heaven, but I won't become a citizen. Um, what does citizenship look like? Well, in the what we call the old covenant, in the old covenant, 
it looked like obedience to laws that were given. It looked like going to the temple because the temple, or at least as close as you could get to the temple, because the temple is where heaven and earth intersected. Well, with the new covenant, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people in a way like we had never seen, a new era was ushered in. One that prophets through the Holy Spirit had prophesied about. And the scripture says these commandments that were once written on stone tablets are now written where? Through the Holy Spirit, on our hearts. And instead of the temple being this physical location where heaven and earth intersected, now what does scripture say? The temple is who? It's us as individual believers. It's us as the body of Christ. As God promised to Abraham, God is inviting people into a new kind of community who are being formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit. It's a community where we love one another, build one another up, and where the very character of God is reproduced in our lives. That's what the world now is to look at and, and, and to see. All right. So in addition, being central to our salvation, to distinctly Christian worship, to what the Bible talks about as the new covenant, this is one that I often doesn't get spoken of much in, in many churches. The Holy Spirit is also evidence of a future hope. Paul often talks about it as a sign, as a seal. It's evidence that there's something coming that we're seeing glimpses of now. For Paul, the observable and otherwise unexplainable outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's evidence we're in the final countdown. Da 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 da. God is dwelling with his people like never before. Like never before. And every day is one day closer to the moment that Paul describes in chapter 15 of his letter, and in so many of his other letters, moments like this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 52-55. The trumpet's going to sound. Dead are going to be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, or death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? It's, it's the spirit-fueled hope that we get to see because we're like God has poured out. Okay, he keeps his promises. We see this poured out. So then we can have Spirit-fueled hope that allows Paul to say things like this with confidence. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because what he said will come to pass, will come to pass. And the Holy Spirit is evidence of that. Well, obviously there's so much more that could be said than, than has been said. It's my hope that this short time we've had together this morning, we can all come away with more of appreciation. I saw your faces when we put those verses up on the screen. You're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, Just a reminder, a reminder of how at the center of our faith the Holy Spirit is. And Paul is spot on when he says this in a follow-up letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. This is in the book of the Bible that we call 2 Corinthians. You can find it in chapter 4, verse 7. The Holy Spirit's presence among us is incomparable treasure, and it's housed in what? Jars of clay. This presence of God is housed in us. It's housed in people who gather in His name. So I want to invite you to go deeper. You know, how, to you know, today was so much about the framework 
I want to encourage you to, to shore up that framework because this is so central. In fact, I got three suggestions for your reading lists. In addition to 1 Corinthians, I got three suggestions. You've seen quotes from all three of these throughout um, this message. And the way I want to recommend these is if you're, if you're going to read all of them, great, because each one, I've, I've, each one has a different emphasis and has content that's unique to it versus the others. But what I want to encourage you to do is don't pick the one that already builds upon what you know the best of these three. I want to encourage you to actually do the one that's going to stretch you the most if you're only going to read one. So let's start with this one, Paul, the Spirit, and, and the people of God. Gordon Fee just does such a remarkable job of going right in through Paul's letters, and he provides an inc- a very, very uh, outstanding framework where he takes some of these. Here are the key themes that we see in Paul's letters about the Holy Spirit, all biblically grounded. And it's written from someone who's not just a scholar, but also a practitioner, someone who, who knows what it's like to experience the Holy Spirit in his life. So I recommend that one if you're like, I want to get the theological framework down. I want, like, what are the big picture themes about the Holy Spirit? I want to lock those in. All right, another one I recommend, recommend is this, Empowered Evangelicals, Rich Nathan and uh, Ken Wilson. This one is best for those who said, okay, I, I've heard about the Holy Spirit before, but I've never experienced it. I come from a tradition where I maybe haven't heard the stories. I haven't seen these things. This does such a good job because it's all biblically anchored. But, but their thesis of this book is that what if you took – evangelicals who really revere the word of God. And what if you kept that anchored to what we're experiencing with the Holy Spirit? And so they have a lot of stories in here, not ones that they like pull off the internet, but ones that they've seen, they've experienced, or they personally know these people. So there's some really great stuff in there. So this would be best for those who are like, okay, I've maybe got the head knowledge. I want to hear more about like, what would this look like in our life or in our church? All right, the last one I want to recommend is this. Rediscovering the Holy Spirit by Michael Horton. This one is best if you're like, I want to I go from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to see how the Holy Spirit is present in all of Scripture. I want to dig into those actual passages. I'm not as excited to hear about the stories and stuff because I don't even know if this guy, I, I don't think he thinks that the Holy Spirit still works the way that I've seen the Holy Spirit work actually in our day. But he does such a good job of let's look at the text. Here is where you can see the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll Sometimes he'll take like words that don't translate as Holy Spirit in our Bibles, but he's like, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's why in this passage. They're all three outstanding, outstanding resources. And like I said, each one adds something to the conversation. Each one adds something to either our experience or to our head knowledge. For us as God's people, the Holy Spirit being as key as the Holy Spirit is, for us to be people who don't just, well, I felt something, people who also are like, I've got a strong foundation, scriptural foundation for this. It'll also be helpful because, man, I can't count the times I've seen when people detach from the Bible and just start chasing after feelings and things, it gets really problematic. Well, as we read Paul's letters, I believe Fee is correct in saying this, the evidence is considerable that a visible, charismatic dimension of life in the Spirit was what? The, what does it say? The normal, read it with me, the normal experience of God of Paul's churches. That For his church, that was just normal. It was normal that they were experiencing the kind of things that Paul writes about in chapter 12. That was normal, which then begs the question where we're going to pick up next week. Next week, let's have a conversation. Why don't most people see it or sense it today? That's where we want to pick up.
if this was normal then, why aren't we seeing it more of it in more of our lives? So let's pray towards next week. And then you're going to have a treat here. This, this song is straight up about the Holy Spirit. And I think I sense the Holy Spirit in this song, in our time right now. So let's pray and give you a chance to experience that. Lord, thank you so much that when we're called to faith in you, it, it is faith that is so anchored. It's anchored to this, the, this collection of works that have been vetted throughout centuries that come to us from people on such a wide variety of life experiences, all testifying to your work in our world. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us shore up our understanding Lord, I pray that the, the verses, the resources that are out there, Lord, that we could make the most out of them and we could be people who really have a solid understanding from an intellectual standpoint. And Father, we pray that all of us would experience more of you at work in our lives, changing us, empowering us individually and then together as a church, doing the things that your son, Jesus Christ, did on this earth. And we experience more of that in our own lives, us doing the things that you called Jesus to do and then have now called us and empowered us to do. Help us not. I, I have a picture in my head right now of, a, of, of um, power tools. There's power tools all over, and they're the best. So those of you who love power tools, imagine the best of the best is all around us, but we're not picking it up. Lord, help us to pick it up so that we can do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.